Welcome to Transport Holics with me, Alex, and this guy, Ollie. Ollie, all right, we've got. Yeah, it's just shot on it today. <laughs> yeah, we'll show we'll shot on it. We've got a couple of uh, we've got a couple of special people here as well. So, okay. Ollie, let's introduce who, who we've got. Who we've got joining us. Yeah, so we've got Fiona um, from Octopus Electric Vehicles. Do you want to say a bit about yourself and introduce who you are and um, what what you do? Sure. Hi, I'm Fiona. Uh, I run Octopus EV. So we are part of the Octopus Energy Group, which is a large energy tech company now. We've got a number of different businesses. We're a unicorn business about five years after launching, which means we're worth over, actually over $2 billion wow. now. Uh, after five um, and so my EV bit of, of our business, uh, we do various things from uh, leasing electric cars, we help install charge points, and we get you great energy tariffs that are designed for EV drivers, wow. <laughs> including running Powerloop, which is a kind of large-scale vehicle-to-grid project, so you can use electric cars to help balance the grid, which we can talk more about if you like. Yeah, I just read yes, up on that yes. today. It was very interesting. And Paul, um, can you tell us a bit about yourself and what you do? Sure, um, I'm in total awe of uh, Octopus and uh, Fiona. So I'm, I'm, I work for, uh, my name is Paul Barnfather and I work for EA Technology. So unlike Octopus, uh, we're, we're about 50 years old and we're still tiny, um, but we're about 200 people actually. We've grown a little bit. But I head up the electric vehicle infrastructure uh, team at EA Technology, which sounds really grand. Uh, but basically what we do is we're, we're working with electricity networks uh, operators to uh, make sure the networks are ready for uh, all these EVs. So I've, I've always mm. been an energy guy. I'm not a transport guy at all. Uh, but I've always had uh, a bit of a passion for, for transport and EVs. And so when, when electrification came along, it was a, it was a great opportunity for me to, uh, to move across and, and, and do something I really enjoy. So, uh, so that's how I've got um, EV in my title, um, coming up from the energy point of view. Okay. Um, yeah, I think I want to start with just just um, just quite simply, really, with just how we charge, just how we charge an electric vehicle, because a lot of people that's going to be a new experience altogether as we move from from petrol to diesel. I thought, um, Fiona, could you explain that one and just yeah. how how we do that? Sure. I mean, I guess very simply, if you at, at the very basic level, there's electricity pretty much everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. So we use it all the time, and in a very simple case, you could even get a cable that plugs into your electric car that could even plug into a three-pin socket in your house and you could even charge up your electric car that way. Mm. The next stage is getting a charge point installed at home which most people tend to do so you might get it in your garage or on the outside of your house and that can typically charge at twice the rate of your normal three-pin plug yeah. and most, most people will charge up overnight a bit like your mobile phone so you, you know you plug it in while you sleep it charges up and you start each day with a full charge. Wonderful. And in fact, you can use special energy tariffs, which we can talk about later, to mm -hmm. do it cheap when there's lots of green energy going onto the grid. And then the next step is if you don't have a driveway, for example, or don't have a garage, then maybe you might use a local public charge point. So there might be your a local car park or a retailer, maybe a Tesco store, for example, they're putting in a lot of charge points. Or maybe mm -hmm. it might be a faster charger that you might get. In fact, all motorway service stations have rapid chargers now which do it at much faster rates. Uh, and if you're lucky enough to own a Tesla, then you might even be able to use their supercharger network to top up. Wow. Um, there are a number of other charge point companies now that are bringing out other ones to compete with the Tesla network as well. So 
Ionity, for example, are now bringing out much faster charges as well in, in public locations. I think when I looked into it, there's about 40 different companies isn't there, that provide um, charging. I didn't know there was that many. I thought it was a, a quite a limited number, um, like a niche thing. Is it? I, I don't own an electric car myself, but is it quite? Is it quite simple? But from I've heard some some horror stories about like how there's different charges and you can turn up to a charger and you won't have the right one for your car. Do, do Octopus provide? <laughs> do Octopus Octopus yeah. provide? Um, do you provide like um, converters for all the different ones, or is it more a case of that I turn up with the converter myself at the charging point? Good question. Uh, so essentially, most cars will have two different types of connectors in the car. Right. So they'll be able to do a kind of type two connection, which is the one that you typically use for one of the kind of mm. what we call fast charging, but it's actually pretty slow. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and then you might get a rapid charger connector, which would either be CCS or CHAdeMO, depending on the car. So actually CCS is now like the really commonplace version of this. There's been a kind of our own version of the VHS Betamax type story in car charging. CHAdeMO oh. seems to have lost out. <laughs> CCS seems to have won. And so when you turn up to most of these rapid chargers, they would typically have a cable there that will plug into your car. Mm, okay. And even so, actually, a lot of these these chargers will have connectors for both CCS and CHAdeMO, and actually some slight, the slightly slower called fast chargers as well. <laughs> so, so you're pretty kitted out in terms of the connectors. The key challenge I think that you were referring to a minute ago is like all of these different charging companies, though. Mm -hmm. What you, you do have to have for some of them is either an RFID card or maybe you have to download their app or maybe become a member to be able to use that network and most of them have been encouraged now I think they have to have contactless payments for the rapid charging Paul's smiling so I'm sure he knows a lot more <laughs> but for some of these networks it's still you can get memberships and you know you get cheaper rates if you're a member or if you've got right. and stuff. Yep. we have done at Octopus we've got one single card mm -hmm for a number of different operators. It's called the Electric Juice Network. And so we've got different operators like Offspray, who do rapid charging, Connected Curb, which do curbside charging, and a number of different other ones as well. They're all connected up now, integrated with our system, one card. You can use any of these different operators. It all goes onto the same bill. And if you're an energy customer as well, that will go onto your home energy bill too. So it's made it as simple as possible. I just wanted to say, because... Um, all he was telling me about you, Paul, saying that um, you get a lot, you get a lot of people tell, uh, asking and getting the wrong ideas when it comes to charging and the the types of charging and the the kilowatts versus megawatts versus all this kind of watts. Um, so <laughs> you, you you're like, I've got to clear this up before I just explode. So if you just want to, because I know some people think that a fast charger may be, you know. How can we clear up this misleading info around charging and and, and electricity? I'll give it a go because it's no, it's understandable because it's a whole new world. I mean, people are used yeah. to filling up their car with litres or gallons, and you you have to choose petrol or yeah. diesel. But other than that, it's you know, it's that that's pretty much the only only choice you've got to make. You've got to put the right one in. Electricity's got a whole new terminology, and it, it confuses everybody. So um, you fill your car up with kilowatt hours. Um, that's what we decide to call it in this industry. It's an awful word, but uh, you, f you fill your car up with kilowatt hours and that's what you buy at the charging station or that's what you uh, pay your electricity company for. So you fill it up with kilowatt hours and um, and that's the how big the tank is, is, is one of the, the sort of key things on, on an EV. You know, you don't really think how many gallons can I get in my car 
it's mm. not something but how many kilowatt hours your car can take is 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 a big factor in ev that's what affects the price that's what affects the range so everybody uh will start to become familiar with how many kilowatt hours does it take so uh and it, and it varies from about you know 40 or so on a, on a, a modern nissan leaf to mm. 100 if you've got a fancy tesla or something like that so that you know you're filling up with kilowatt hours that's and that's the, how many kilowatts you can put into the battery in one hour that's right yeah. so so the the clue is in the name, in the name. <laughs> unlike with a, a petrol station you don't go to a petrol station and think well how fast does it fill my tank up because they all kind of fill up your tank at the same rate mm. but with a charger how fast it fills your, your tank up varies so if you're plugging in at home as Fiona said, it's a bit slower and it'll take ooh, six to 12 hours to fill up. So it's quite a bit slower than a, a petrol pump, you know, six to 12 hours. That's just waiting there. For yeah. Ages. Fortunately, you don't have to hold on to it like you do yeah. at a petrol station. And, um, you know, so when people say, how long does it take you to charge your car? Well, about 30 seconds because I get out and plug it in and go inside and that's it. Mm-hmm. And then, you, as Fiona said, in the morning, fully charged. So, it doesn't take you a lot of time, but you've got it, uh, you know, there's a, a long duration. So that's a, a seven kilowatt. So this is yeah. now on to the speed. So when someone says kilowatts, this is the speed. This is the new thing that people are sort of uh, getting used to. So seven kilowatts, about six, 12 hours um, to charge up overnight. But the if you go to motorway, you, you're going to be getting something a bit faster, a 50 kilowatt charger. What does that mean, 50 kilowatts? Well, it'll add about... 150 miles in an hour so if you stop for half an hour 70 80 miles in in, in your tank so what you do is you don't fill it up like you do with a petrol car you 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 might fill it up what you do is you put enough in to get to your destination so this side of how long does it take to fill a a car up is it's a bit of a strange question for electric vehicles you don't really do that you put enough in to get to where you're going which is 50 100 200 miles but mm. those are the 50 kilowatt chargers that were referred to but they're, they're getting faster i mean ionti uh fastned tesla they're up to whoa over 300 kilowatts now yeah i think amazing so i think I mean, the, headline, the headline figure is a thousand miles an hour wow. sounds, it sounds amazing but of course uh, it, what it means is you, you charge for about 10 minutes or so and you've got you know 100 miles range to get to your destination so so you stop for 10 15 minutes at these new superchargers but that that's that that's the new tech anyway that's what gets everybody excited so that's speed range kilowatt hours what you fill up with kilowatts how fast hopefully did i get that perfect <laughs> that's yeah. incredible so now now you all know audience either listening or watching and we're going to be testing you at the end all right <laughs> we need a quiz nah. on this nah, it's, it's all good that was perfect and Fiona, is Octopus going to be providing all, does Octopus provide all the different types of chargers? And so you provide the, the home chargers, you provide the the ones that uh, at work, for example, and all the ones that in public places as well. Is that the idea? Yeah, well, so we absolutely can do a bunch of these different things. So we can, we have Octopus Energy Services. Octopus Energy Services are now installing charge points at yeah. home and at workplace at depots and destination locations. Um, and so for our clients and customers from different sizes, we can we can get charges. We don't make the charges, so we have partners in the charging yeah. space. So people like Omi, who have very smart chargers that integrate with our clever tariffs, and they optimize it. So we can talk about the tariffs in a second, but basically 
depending on when it's cheap, they will look at the pricing signal and it will optimize and charge when it's cheap. Uh, people like EO charging as well have really great chargers. And so we, so we work with really good charging manufacturers for those ones that are at home and at workplaces. And then with public charging, we've got other charging partners again in that space. So people like Osprey that I mentioned earlier, Franklin, Plug and Go, any number of these different providers that then we supply energy to. So we have, again, different energy tariffs, but then we've also integrated into that public network card that we talked about. So we and use that spectrum. Can you explain a bit more about how the energy price varies during the day? Because I think that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So it's a, essentially, as you can imagine, it's supply and demand. So yeah. we, we don't have a lot of demand for electricity overnight when we're sleeping. So yeah, generally yeah. the price is like relatively low. And then there's a small peak in the morning when we get up for our breakfast. Bowl and then your kettle for your cup of tea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then there's kind of, it's relatively low again in the middle of the day. And then between 4 and 7 p.m., it, it spikes up. It gets right. more expensive between 4 and 7, which is when we're typically consuming energy. And it's not just about the price of the electricity that's being generated, but it's also about the use of the grid and the use of the energy infrastructure. Okay. So actually, our local energy infrastructure gets a lot busier around that time because we're all consuming energy. And so actually that's the point where we have slightly more expensive costs on that grid. And so that's another driver for that higher price between four and seven. And then it drops off again, typically overnight. Now, again, it depends on what's going on in terms of our generation. So let's say the wind's blowing and we've got loads and loads of wind generation in the middle of the night. In fact, there's now too much. So there's even times where the national grid, they have um, something called the system operator. So they're optimizing the energy system all the time. And they're paying people to turn up their energy on a short-term basis, their energy generation, or even at times to asking them to not turn it on or, or switch it off. So they might even, at some points, ask wind turbines to stop generating electricity. And wow. because wind turbines get um, get subsidies, if we ask them to stop generating, we still pay them the subsidy. So we're essentially paying that wind turbine to no to longer do electricity. And we're like, well, this is crazy. <laughs> our EV drivers to charge up their cars. So we yeah. have a dynamic energy tariff that looks at the wholesale price and the points when it goes negative, so does our energy tariff go negative. And so actually at that point, and it happened like in fact last May, I'm excited to these, these bank holidays. The May bank holiday weekend last year, I think one of our EV drivers charged up enough uh, to be able to, in theory, drive between London and Newcastle and back. And got paid five pounds for the for the pleasure of doing so. Wow! He essentially got it's like turning up to your petrol station. Here's all your free petrol to yeah. get Newcastle and back, and here's a coffee and donut to go with you. <laughs> so, I'll take that any day, any day, please. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, that's not always the case. It has been very cold, and it's been quite yeah. on some days. And then yeah. those days, the prices become more expensive. Right. What we do want to do is optimize. So that actually you're filling up your car when there is more more uh, green energy and when it's cheaper and, and there's not as much use on those local grids, the local infrastructure. That's really important. Go on, Paul. Yeah, I was just going to chip in there. It, it, it sounds a bit mad, this all this spare capacity that they're paying you to use. And, you, and, and people from other industries think, what are they doing in the electricity industry? This is crazy. Why have they got so much spare? Why are they trying to give it away? And it's probably worth mentioning that electricity is a little bit different to other stuff like water and gas and roads, where if you 
try to put too many cars down a road that you know more than it can handle it just goes mm -hmm. a bit slower you know if, if you try and get too much water out the out the tap and more water than they can supply the pressure just drops a bit electricity that's not the case if we try and pull too much power from the grid than it can handle your lights go out so yes. we have uh -huh. to build we've built this national grid which is like the world's biggest motorway. So that at 5 p.m. on a winter evening, there's no traffic jam. So that we cannot handle congestion on the electricity network. You can on other infrastructure, you can't on electricity. So we've got this huge network that's able for that one half hour in winter when it's really cold. It's built for that. Rest of the time, loads of spare. And it's, there's all of this spare capacity that you don't see because it's there, you know, hidden away. And that's what's available to use. So that's why if you charge your car at the right time, it's pretty cheap. And right. that's why that's why the price varies. So, so it's a little different to, say, other infrastructures. Mm. So that helps. It's, it's one of the most exciting things for me where people say, oh, you've got all these electric cars coming. So we reckon there's going to be, what, 10 or 11 million on the road by 2030. That's not that far away. Nine years time, 10 or, a million, 10 or 11 million electric cars on our roads. Mm -hmm. That's quite a lot. Now, if we do that, and like, let's go back to the kilowatt hours and kilowatts that Paul was talking about earlier. Let's say they are all charging at seven kilowatts, which is your typical rate of a home charger. Let's say they all plugged in as people got home from work, if we all are going back into work, TBC. But you know, in theory, <laughs> five, and, five and seven, you know, we get home, we plug in the car, all of those 10 million charging at the same time, seven kilowatts, that's 70 gigawatts of electricity that's being consumed at, at one moment. That's insane. Oh. That's insane. <laughs> it's also impossible. It's like more than double our peak energy consumption, our peak yeah. electricity consumption today, oh. which is just over 60 gigawatts. So it's never going to happen, right? That's, we're never going to see that. But what's really important actually is that we can use the EVs to charge up at different times when we're not consuming electricity already to start to balance out that, particularly when you've got things like we become more renewable and you get more wind, you get more solar, and they're not matching when we're consuming it. So actually now the EVs can charge up when the wind's blowing, when the solar's, you know, the sun's shining, and we can mm. start to actually balance that grid, balance that generation, and actually it can work really nicely. And this is also when vehicle to grid starts to play a role, which is when you can literally use that car battery for storage. So to Paul's point as well, right, it's very different from other infrastructure. It's difficult to store energy, store electricity cost effectively. Mm. But you've really got that storage sitting there in a battery on your driveway. So my lights are all going. Um, if, if you've got a battery sitting there on your driveway, then why would you not use that to store the electricity? And then you can help support that grid at peak times. Mm. So let's charge that car up in the middle of the night and then support the grid and feed back to your house, to the neighbours, during the peak times, and that's what vehicle to grid is all about. Mm. I'll put some numbers on how much that actually means. I mean, you pay at home about 15 pence a kilowatt hour. We'll back to mm -hmm. kilowatts again. I'm going to have to get used to this terminology. <laughs> so you pay about 15 pence, it doesn't sound very much, but to generate that electricity, it only cost, even if it was gas, you know, even if you were burning fossil fuels, only about three pence to make it. So you, it costs them three pence to make it. But you're paying 15 pence. Mm. Why is that? You know, you, I mean, you, you never pay three pence for a kilowatt hour. You, you pay many times and it's to pay for all this redundancy. So the thing is, your electricity is actually a lot more 
than it needs to be mm. because we never we couldn't do anything about this. We had to pay for all this plant to stand idle. Now, in the world that Fiona's described, where you can match it a bit better and you can real time, because we can't turn your oven on and off real time. We can't turn your cooker on and off real time. Yeah. You get upset. But your car charging, if it's plugged in overnight, we can turn, you know, a potential is there to so turn it up now. And if you do that, match supply and demand a bit better. You don't have to pay for all this idle capacity. So instead of paying 15 pence a kilowatt, it comes down. So even though you go into renewable energy, which is, you know, comes and goes, your actual energy price comes down. So you, this, this is what's fascinating about EVs. They're not, they're, they're not just, they don't create a demand on the network. They actually make the network better, which is really mm. exciting. We've never had this before. And, and I'm really, you know, and, and so this, this coming of EVs, it's a real opportunity to, to change the electricity system for the better. Well, I think if I was to, oh. Oh, go, go on. on I, I was just going to add um, that I saw an interesting fact I saw today was the the energy grid, the national grid has dropped down to this new carbon low, hasn't it, in intensity to about 43 grams of CO2 per kilowatt hour. And I guess as you put more electric vehicles into the grid, it's going to it's going to drop even further. Yeah. That was a record low over the weekend. Yeah, for 40, just over 40 grams. Now, don't forget, we were over 500 about what, 10 years ago, something like that. But, you know, not that long ago, yeah. we we're averaging 450 to 500 and we hit 40 and, and we routinely around the 150 mark. It's come down a lot already. Amazing in 10 years for an industry that doesn't change very much. This is uh, this is quite something. That's impressive. Go on, speaking of the Speaking of the future, though, um, what do you think there's any room for wireless charging with this with this kind of area? Because I know a lot of people have been speculating it, like imagining it. Does it sound like Alice in Wonderland type thing, or would it ever happen? Like, because I know, so I know it's been looked at within um, uh, Southeast Asia, I believe. Yeah, it um, would. They're, they're looking I mean, at that. It's it's perfect. First thing, it's perfectly doable. So right. to, to uh, do wireless charging, whether it's over a, like a car parking space where you pull up and it charges there and then, or even put it in the road as you drive along, we can mm. do that. Sounds space age. <laughs> expensive. It, it, so, so it only makes sense right now if there's a real reason to not get out the car and plug in. So as I said before, it takes 30 seconds to get out and plug in. So there are some applications where that makes sense. Um, taxis on a rank, that, that's a kind of a, an obvious one where they're, they're, they're moving down the rank. Buses, you know, it's stopping a bus and getting out, the driver having to plug it in. This is doesn't it, this is difficult whereas if it stops and if it charges at each bus stop particularly at the end wireless charging Milton Keynes have been trialing this for a few years works mm. great so I think you will get wireless charging um fairly soon for those those uh, niche applications where it works I think it'll be a long time before your average car comes fitted with a wireless charging pickup because it adds it basically you're putting a couple of thousand pounds worth of technology under the car which is right where you don't want to be putting technology you know near the ground where it gets damaged it's an expensive delicate thing that coils so it's technically not a problem commercially a bit more difficult right okay will come it will does come. octopus have any plans to invest in that kind of technology do you know fiona i mean it's not not something i've thought a lot about uh myself i quite like the idea of it for autonomous cars by the time mm. you know in like say 10 years time where we've got autonomous yep. cars and they need to go somewhere to charge up at some point actually not having that human element of having to like plug in i i quite like it in that kind of context but um yeah I, i'm i'm not betting on it in the short term like purple was saying 
that's fine. But then there's the other aspect of, um, I know a lot of people are debating where the future of energy is going to be coming from because there's been um, a lot of interest within wave um, wave energy sources. Where do you think the the next you know the next steps of future energy is going to be? Um, we either centralize or focus into. Do you reckon it's going to be wind or what do you think it's going to be? Because no nuclear's um, popping its head up. Same with wave. So e either or both of you, whichever whoever wants to fight for it first. So so difficult to uh, call that one because you know ten years ago you said wind. Oh, well, it looks expensive. Needs lots of subsidy. Solar. Wow, nice but expensive. They're the wind and solar are the cheapest energy you can get now. It's cheaper than building a gas plant. You know, it, it, the, the price of solar and wind has collapsed. And that's even offshore wind, which is quite hard to do. We mm. haven't got a lot of onshore here. And onshore is cheaper. Obviously, you've got, you know, the, the challenge of where you put it. But it's cheaper still. So they are so cheap that... This is it's going to be tough for nuclear and tough for wave energy. Wave energy sounds wonderful because we've got loads of wave energy around this yeah. country, massive amounts of wave energy. Yeah. But it's really, really expensive up around the hundred pounds a megawatt hour. Where's you down to 20 or 30 pounds a megawatt hour for, for, for wind and solar? So it, it's tough for those guys to get the price down. Nuclear, again, it's struggling to be, mm. to be viable below 100 pounds a megawatt hour. And it's you know, and the competition is is charging twenty, thirty pounds unsubsidized. That's tough. So I'm not, I'm never saying never, but they have got the, the question isn't about the technology. Does the technology mm -hmm. work? Yes, it does. Can you generate power from waves? Yes. Can we generate power from nuclear? Yes. We know how to do this. Can we do it cost effectively? Oh, that that's the challenge. Whole new thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess going back to what Fiona was saying, though, we'll get. We're going to be like less reliant on um, energy in the first place, aren't we? If, if you're going to be able to draw on it from batteries, we'll be, we'll be able to have more of it. We'll be able to um, use more of it and um, store more of it from solar and wind when it's available. Mm. And then, and then, like you said, when, when it's like a winter, when it's a cold winter night, and we all need to watch watch the TV, etc., we'll be able to pull that from our cars. So yeah. we so we will have it. That's it. And it's got because you're, you're absolutely right in winter, you know, you think, well, where's the power going to come from when there's no, you know, yeah. wind and no, and no sun? And what we could have done, even if we were to do something really expensive, like uh, electrolyze water and make hydrogen and store that for winter, even if we did something as very expensive and exotic as that, we're still no more expensive than nuclear. And it's so it's so tough to get the cost down. Um, for these technologies, um, I'm not saying it can't be done, and uh, there's lots mm. of lots of very very clever people work on this, but energy is just so cheap. This is the challenge. It's it's cheap. as you know, if you only sell the stuff, it's cheap. Yeah, I mean, I think one one of the things that we have to think about as well around decarbonisation is not just transportation. So transportation is coming now. You know, EVs are coming rapidly now. Yes. And, yeah. But also to get to net zero properly, we need to tackle heating. And, you know, obviously all of our boilers running mm -hmm. are not good for the environment. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, see, interestingly, I think it's only about 50% of the population when they're, when they're asked, realise that it is contributing to climate change, you wow. know, contributing to the environment if they've got a gas boiler. Now, actually switching out our boilers and putting in, say, heat pumps or other you know, form, forms of heating that's powered by electricity or renewable sources 
is a, is a really big challenge. And it's a big challenge to do that because when your boiler breaks, actually thinking about a whole new technology and you know, changing things up in your house or how does it work, that's maybe not the, the top thing on your mind when you're like, oh, it's cold outside. I've just turned my boiler on. It's not working. You know, so there's a whole piece there in terms of installing them. And then there's a whole piece then in terms of how we generate that electricity as well, because that's an extra demand in terms of the generation and the infrastructure. Mm. So, so there's different layers of this. And I think, I mean, somebody was telling me the other day that I think the Climate Change Committee have estimated we need as much generation, we need further infrastructure. Paul, you might know some of these stats better than me. But um, there's, there's quite a bit still to be thought through over the next two decades, for example, because we really make these changes, not just for transportation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've touched on a really tough. Uh, I mean, to be honest, transport, decarbonising transport is relatively easy compared to decarbonising heat. You know, we, we we know we can cope with the energy um, to decarbonise transport by making it electric because electric vehicle is so much more efficient than a than a internal combustion vehicle. So we get that gain when we uh, when we switch to electricity. With heat. The, the the size of the energy is so much more. So can you put all, ele- all all vehicles onto the grid? Yes, you can. Can we heat all the homes off the grid? No, we can't. It doesn't you, fit. It's too much. And this not, is really tough. Could we not use the, um, like going back to the power in the, the batteries of the electric cars, could we not use that then to power the homes, to power homes as well, somehow in the future possibly? It can certainly help stagger it, but you still yeah. have to generate it in the first place. And then there's also, you know, mm. back boxes as well. So, like, do you fill up a, car, you know, fill up your battery in the car to then give it back to the house at certain times? And it's just balancing out how much. It's, it's yeah. So to pick up on that, Ollie, absolutely. From day to night, you can use the cars to balance over the day to night pulses. Mm. That's that works brilliantly. The problem is summer to winter. So we've got all the sunshine in summer. We've got wind, um, you know, different times of the year. Yeah problem is storing that over months so that we've got enough power for when it's it's cold and dark there isn't enough storage in the cars to do that so we're going to need something a bit clever to do that it's it's the seasonal storage is huge and and that's that's the challenge for a a country like ours that has uh you know a big difference between summer and winter makes sense i've got um I've got another divergent question for you, because why not, right? That's all I seem to be throwing over here. Um, to do with the battery industry, because with EVs and both just energy in general, the battery is the battery's getting very interesting these days. What do you think is going to be happening, or what do you think the future of batteries are going to be right now? Because do you reckon they're going to allow for more, well, both efficiency, um, uh, di- uh divergent uses in, in terms of could you apply them to different vehicles that haven't already been applied like buses ships planes that kind of thing what do you think and it's, it's again it's very outlandish but that's a good, the, that's a good the, question. the way that uh, the battery industry is going it, it could do anything so the, there's two there's two things one they need to be cheaper and lighter so the, right. the battery in a tesla is running about half a ton at the moment that's a lot yes half yeah yeah the very yeah. yeah. So you, you've got half a ton of weight, which we, we can accommodate. I mean, it, you know, they're not markedly heavier than normal cars. 1.8 mm. tons, you know, it's about, it's about the weight of a golf. You know, they're not, they're not, they're not a, a couple hundred kilos, but not, not so as you'd notice. But still, half a ton of st- high tech stuff that you've got to make is A, expensive and B, takes a lot of energy. 
So there's a lot of energy goes into that battery to make it and a lot of expertise and cost. And that's what makes the EVs more expensive than, than we'd like them to be. So getting that cost down, that's that's the, 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 the immediate challenge. How can we get them lighter? How can we get them easier to make? And that's happening with the current uh, current. Uh, Technology, I believe, not battery expert, but it seems to be improving all the time, and, and, and they're getting cheaper. So getting the cost out is the first thing. Second thing, which is going to be a problem, is what are we going to make them out of? Are they reasonably plentiful? Some of the um, other minerals that you need to make them less so. We certainly don't like using cobalt in batteries, and that's coming down. Yeah. So there are some unpleasant things needed to make it. They're either rare, or expensive, or difficult to mine. Those will go, and 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 the people that will you know work out how to do that will make a lot of money. So it's a bit like silicon chips, you know. The the technology will move on. There'll be new generations of cathode chemistry which will take that cost out and take those uh, those those rare earths out as well. So we're seeing a lot of research on that, but you, you need to talk to the uh, the chemist to get the details. But I'm pretty certain that in ten years' time will not be using the same battery chemistry that we're using today. It'll it will have changed. We you need know, to make them a lot a lot lighter, bit, don't we? From like NICADs to you know remember the old batteries that used to charge that used to get the NICAD ones and then you got the uh the, the better ones. I forgot the name, but they were much better and they didn't they didn't die quite so early and you know the and the, the, the battery technology moved on. That's what will happen. So the, there will be new stuff. It's coming all the time. For example, with a plague, you would struggle to get it to take off because of the weight of the batteries at the moment. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's brilliant to see like the price of the you know battery technology has come down so quickly. I think it's like eighty percent reduction in the cost of a battery over six years or something amazing. I mean, okay. it's phenomenal, and that just means that you can get you know more battery for the same cost. Mm. Actually, and you get much better ranges of vehicles and that kind of stuff, and that's why we're seeing the ranges on vehicles continually inching up. So I think the, the Mercedes that's just been announced is now talking well over 400 miles in a single charge, which is fantastic, you know, and that's probably more than most people need, right? Because I think the average person is driving around on average two, 20 miles a day. Yeah, so I was just going to ask this. Need, you don't need 400 miles range. Is the reality. I, I mean, I've, I've got 200 of mine and it is it's absolutely plenty. Do you think mm. it's do you think it's right that um, like there's this i said ever the the industry seems obsessed with increasing the range up and up and up when like you say i think i think i think it's like i think 60 percent i think 60 percent of people do less than 30 that do 60 percent of people do less than 35 no six sorry 60 percent of all trips i think it is are less than 35 miles in length of, of all the trips is something like that mm. off the top of my head but um yeah. Especially, especially because of the because of the weight of the batteries is really heavy to carry them around. So if you're gonna if you're gonna be carrying all that weight around just to do less than 35 miles, it seems a really inefficient way of doing it. I think I think we are gonna see a short burst where we get really long ranges, and yeah. then people are like you're gonna ask these questions, Ollie, which is exactly as you're saying, which is like, do we really need a battery this big? Do we really need this much mm. range? You know, actually, maybe I'm willing to take a slightly lower range because I don't need that. And I'm here mm. a bit less or whatever it might be. And, and we'll see that. But it, we still see today one of the key uh, blockers yeah. Yeah. is range anxiety, you know. And so until people start to get really comfortable with it, and we see it also when people first get their electric car, they probably only use like 
the top 50% of their battery. <laughs> and they, they get nervous because they're like, what, what if I run out of electricity to charge up again? I need to charge up. And then people get more and more mm-hmm. about it. And then, you know, one of my, uh, one of the experts on my team who's been, who's driven EVs everywhere, like all mm-hmm. around Europe, you know, he's done many, many, many trips. And he, he's like taught me now to even trust it, even when it's saying like one mile left on the cross, <laughs> it might be, or like, even when it gets to 0% fear, it's going to keep driving a bit longer. By the way, I'm not suggesting you definitely try this at home. But mm. I was curious. No, I wasn't curious. I, I did uh, end up going to a, a charger one night when I thought it charged up at hand um, at home. Yep. And anyway, I tested it out and it did keep going. And you get more relaxed about the range and using the full range of your battery and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, go on, Paul. I mean, I think on the range thing, I mean, I think it will settle down. I, I see a similar parallel to people, you know, buying cars with a V8 engine in or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Does anybody really use the V8 or the V12? Of course they don't. But for a car purchase, because it's an emotional purpose as well, yeah, a purchase as uh, not just a, you know, not just a rational one. If people want to buy a car with 500 miles range or 600 miles range for bragging rights, well, you know, to be honest, let them. Um, they will be paying a lot of money for that car. They'll be carrying around all that extra weight for no purpose. And I think it'll settle down and people will naturally, the way people settle down to, you know, people didn't all go out and buy V8s just because you could. You know, people settle on a four-cylinder car because that's all you need. And and I think we'll see the same, that people will probably settle down around the 200 mile range and I, I don't know which it's going to be but it seems that once people are comfortable with 200 mile range it's it's, it's much less of an issue less than that people with 150 mile range vehicles sometimes feel it doesn't go far enough but yeah. i suspect it'll settle that'll be the sort of sweet spot but of course you're going to get uh, you know high-end cars and this this is like the bragging rights you know in the, in the past it was always how fast does your car go mister you know what will it do and now it's how far will it go that's the new that's the new sort of i guess another option could be is just just using it for what you need isn't it like if you're if you if, you, if mm. your day if your day to day you're only going to need like um not a not very big range then you could buy a car for that but when when you do want to go further you could always just rent one for for that trip particular trip yeah. and do it that way i mean it's probably worth mentioning about car ownership models i mean i i, yeah. I, I suspect i might be among the, the last generation where car ownership was the norm you know I, i'm not sure that that met you know when i when i turned 17 i was obsessed with getting a car and everybody wanted a car i i don't hear that level of enthusiasm about car mm. ownership among uh you, you know kids today it sounds like an old old so-and-so uh, saying that but i think it's true they look at it's like well why would i pay all this money and all this insurance and have to go through all these hoops for something i don't need they're not interested and that, so i think i think the the car ownership model will will shift as well we'll we'll we're seeing expensive cars. There's there's a shift as well. Like there's going to be different levels of this. So there's first of all, we're kind of we like we historically have liked to own our cars as a country. So we do actually have a, a yeah. very high number of people that currently own vehicles. We're seeing that shifting already towards leasing. So it's a bit more like your mobile phone, right? So do you remember when your mobile phone used to like rapidly change? So you'd get one one year, you'd have contract for two years. Yeah. <laughs> you'd have like the, the, you'd have a new camera it'd be like three times as good as your last camera yeah. the data would be much bigger you know it could go a lot faster all that kind of stuff it's going to be a bit like that with, with mm-hmm. evs for a bit right because you're going to get mm-hmm. better ranges you it's like tech on wheels right and and this tech is going to change and it might be like different types of batteries that kind of stuff so people are going to lease their cars 
two, three year contracts. Yeah. And we're just going to automatically upgrade you into something else. After two, three years, you're going to get your new EV. Mm-hmm. And that car that you've just given back is going to go into the second hand market, which is also really, really important. That second hand market is really important. It's really small at the moment as well. Because there's so few cars coming through because the, the sales of EVs three years ago was very small. There's just not very many cars entering that secondhand market right now. So that's that's what we'll see happening. We'll see the kind of new cars coming in on these contracts, then moving through into the secondhand market and actually potentially being leased again for a second time because not a lot goes wrong in these vehicles. You know, there's very few moving parts, so they, they last longer and they're, they're, you know, you can take that kind of risk on them as well. So, so we'll see that happening a bit more. And then what we're seeing particularly right now, is salary sacrifice is making electric cars very, very attractive. Yes. So if you've heard of cycle to work, this yep. is equivalent, but for your electric car. So you get the use of an electric car, you pay for it out of your gross salary and you can save income. Online tax, yeah. Exactly. And actually we, we bundle it in, we get the car, the insurance, your servicing and maintenance, all for this one monthly amount out of your gross salary. Mm. saving on the income tax and national insurance so we're seeing people save over ten thousand pounds over three or four years wow (laughs) which actually when when they're starting people are like oh it's a bit more expensive than the petrol diesel equivalent you couldn't do this with a petrol diesel car um so actually you can do it with ev so you're saving that amount of money and then also there's the running costs which is so much cheaper 90 percent less if you're doing on some of the home tariffs and so actually the two combined make them really, really stand up against petrol or diesels. But, mm. but one thing, um, this is hot off the press, we've been running a survey and it looks like two thirds of people, the numbers, I checked the numbers just before I came on, 67% yeah. is the latest number that the survey shows, 67% of people have never heard of electric car salary sacrifice. Just over another 20%- I didn't until today. <laughs> But they don't know any of the details behind it. They don't know how it works or their company doesn't provide it. So that's only just over 10% are left, just over 10% where they can access this. So it means that at the minute it's, it's a benefit for very few people. So if people are thinking about getting an electric car, mm. it's worth them knowing about it just so they can explore it to see if it might be the right thing for them because it can save them a lot of money. That was going to be one of my questions about the barrier to entry um type things because i know it seems like a very you know comfortable you know cushy thing but a lot of people are kind of standoffish about it or whatever and it also links over to your tariffs that you were talking about at the start so i guess i'll ask about the tariffs now as well because it all kind of locks in you know a full circle there yeah so i mean in terms of barriers to entry so the i mean the upfront cost well there's a few of them we've just talked about the upfront cost is Seeds as being higher and can yeah. be in kind of a petrol diesel, but the total cost of ownership is typically comparable, if not better, than EV because of the lower lower cost of charging. The tariffs that we have are kind of entry level EV tariff. Mm. We're saying typically you might spend 15 pence per kilowatt hour for energy for electricity at home. The our entry level one, uh, the EV tariff, you do five pence per kilowatt hour for four hours. So that's a third of the price. And so on that, you can typically save 90% of your fuel costs. So if you were spending £150 a month on petrol previously, you're now spending £15 a month on electricity for the same amount of driving. So it's a big saving, right? So even if your lease might be slightly high for your electric car, you've saved on your petrol and diesel costs. Obviously, it's 
lower while we've all been in lockdown. But as we start to come out of lockdown, it starts to, you know, you start to pay off. Exactly. Mm. And also servicing and maintenance tends to be lower as well. So it's about, typically about 70% saving on, on servicing and maintenance costs. Because in an EV, you've got, say, 20 moving parts compared to about 2,000 in a petrol or diesel car. I just want to ask you about the like the, the equity argument behind electric cars in general and how um, I guess how like to begin with it is um, there is a big upfront cost so you've got you've got to be um, you've got you've got to, you've got to have that money to to, to fall in the first place but then it, it becomes cheaper over time um, but as well as that it also like you said depends what depends where you charge it and how fast you charge it and I was I was thinking about it could you could in theory get punished for not having like that off street parking because um because with the off street parking you're, you're able to charge at those slower cheaper speeds overnight whereas if you live for example in a block of flats or whatever you're gonna have to pay to get to get it to charge quicker aren't you unless unless i guess they provide um, community slow charges if, do you know if something like that's going to be happening i mean even if you take sorry paul i'm just go ahead <laughs> but even if you take um, BP Pulse, which used to be yep. Charge Master, so they obviously have a network of chargers and you can be a member. And off the top of my head, it used to be about £7.50 a month. I'm not sure exactly what it is right now. But in that region, and I think 80 or 90% of their chargers used to be free to use. And I think they still are. There's still a bunch of them that still are. not. And there's, there's some of the slower chargers, not the rapid. Okay. And so actually a number of people we know might have got leases for their cars. And actually yep. just go and use one of those those chargers, you know, while they're shopping or even if it's just down the road for them. And just so actually, free. Yeah, wow. well, that's, for the £7.50 membership. Right, yeah. Um, that, that is very good. Scotland, it's, it's, it's Scotland network. Go on, Paul. Yeah, no, I mean, but I, I, you, you picked up on a fantastic point there that there is a danger of inequality keep, creeping in here. It's like with any new technology, it's more accessible to some than others. And certainly for EVs, those with drives and those without drives, there is a difference at the moment. It's fantastic mm -hmm. to be able to charge your car on your drive. It's wonderful, brilliant. But that's not an option for a lot of people. And at the moment, I think you're absolutely right. There is a risk that people in flats, people in terraces, people in urban areas will feel a little left out because they don't, they're not able to access this. And we haven't quite solved that yet. Um, it, it's coming. The on-street parking, uh, provision for charging points at new blocks of flats, but we are still building blocks of flats without charging provision. We're still doing this. It's wow. not in the building regs, so we don't do it. And mm. I, I'm, you know, this for me is what are we waiting for? We 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 should not. Be, I, I you know, there's enough of a challenge to retrofit the old stuff. We're still building new stuff without the provision to charge vehicles and yet we know which where this is coming so i think we do need to start including this these charging points at work um what one example is uh workplace charging again not for everybody but if you do work somewhere and you drive to work but you don't have anywhere to charge at home charge at work you know you can make sure that you've got a full uh, full tank on a friday afternoon yeah. that's more than enough to get you through the weekend yeah so if you've got a regular workplace, so again, as with with all things EV, there is no one solution, one magic thing that works for all. But workplace charging is a solution. On-street charging solutions. Supermarket charging is a, is a possibility. There are lots of options 
So I think it will come. But in order to make sure that people aren't don't miss out in the next few years, we could do with a few policies and, uh, you know, and a, and, a, and a bit of regulation here to make sure that it happens, because what we don't want is haves and have nots. And it, it, it is a risk at the moment. It's temporary, but it is a risk. So well, I'm glad you raised it. We need to fix this. Um, I've got a I've got a um, question for Mr. Paul about well no it's for both of you because it's uh, to do with one do you drive an EV and two um, what's the experience been um, Ollie was telling me about you Paul about your love for the, the fuel head. cars your, your petrol head and you, you was kind of like a yeah, I like the future but petrol though and um, yeah, you know so. Uh, yeah, just just want to know what your experience has been with so, both of them, and you know, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've always, you know, was, uh, been into engines and, and noisy cars and things like that, motorbikes and things like that. But looking at the electric stuff, it's like, oh, these when Tesla started to appear, sort of ten years ago. Well, these things are a bit quick, you know, it's just interesting. And uh, there was a race series in Australia where somebody had uh, had electrified a, a race car and it, and it was leaving the V8s for dead. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. You know, this is this is what this is. So I couldn't afford an EV. But um, five years ago, I bought a second hand uh, Ampera. So it's a plug in hybrid uh, just because I thought, well, I wonder what they're like, you know, to drive in electric mode. And that does about. 25, 30 miles in electric. So I thought, well, at least I can commute in that. So I bought it as an experiment and absolutely loved it. Um, and I was able to do all my commuting and I was like, oh, it's cheap to run. And uh, and so, yeah, I had to put petrol in occasionally, but it was like so much better in electric mode than in petrol mode. Uh, uh, I was thinking, oh, this, is, uh, this has got to be the way to go. And uh, so uh, coincidentally, um, yesterday um, I sold it. Um, oh. Somebody bought it. Oh. And on Monday, and last Monday, I, I took delivery of a Tesla under a salary sacrifice. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> yes. Fiona's absolutely right. I mean, I would never normally go for an exotic car like that. But the current arrangements, if you are fortunate enough to be able to access a salary sacrifice scheme, it's a fantastic way to own a car. Um, so I think this is where most of the sales are going to come. So uh, yes, so driving a Model 3 now, which is very nice. So that's that's been my journey. And finally, as, as, as an indulgence of my techiness, um, I'm building electric motorbike because I've got I've got wow. I've got two petrol bikes, motorbikes, and one of them is being I'm trying to uh, learn how how all this works, and it's uh, it's the most complicated taxing thing I've ever done because it's uh, uh, trying to learn new tech. But uh, yeah, so uh, electrifying a motorbike, and it's it's coming on, and so I've got I've got the petrol one for reference and the, and the new one. So that's going to be a big learning curve to get really under the literally under the hood to uh, to find out what makes these things tick but it it's fascinating stuff and it's accessible to you know uh, a, a sort of a, an untrained mechanic like me so uh, um yes you need to you need to know what you're doing so you don't you know don't, don't, don't go sticking your fingers in batteries and things like that they are they are dangerous but you know with with the right training and i was lucky enough to be able to go on a, um, a course in ireland last year to learn how to do all this and it was fascinating so i'm, I'm really looking forward to putting that into into practice and uh, and building electric vehicles so, so that's my journey so does that, does that does that involve what coding as well yes yes i'm having to learn software yeah. i'm having to learn 3d cad i'm having wow. to uh, yes uh, so yes it's it, it, evs what what i've learned is that evs are, and this 
puts me, this is why I'm in such awe of EV manufacturers, particularly Tesla. It's so different to a vehicle where you take an engine and you stick it in a chassis and you stick a gearbox on and you, you know, and you couple it all up and each thing you can sort of do on its own. An EV is a complete software system and it's really, really difficult to get your head around. But when you get it right, the results are, so it is, it is hard, it is challenging. And I understand why it's kind of scary for, you know, mechanics and people that are familiar with engines because it is very different. But um, yeah, absolutely doable. So um, I'm on a bit of a learning journey at the moment. What about you, Fiona? What's, um, what's the EV story behind? How did you transition to the EV world? Uh, I mean, I confess that I'm I'm a bit of a nerd. So I was really fascinated as like a teenager as to yeah. what we driving. Because even if we didn't right. the planet, we'd have basically at some point run out of petrol and diesel. So either way, we'd have to transition to something else. Yeah. So, um, so I was really into EVs when I was when I was a teenager in clean tech, and then in some interview for a scholarship, they were like, "Oh, it's not going to be electric cars, it's going to be hydrogen fuel cells." So I went and actually did a, a placement with part of my degree with BMW doing hydrogen cars in Germany, and mm. I spent like a summer touring the world, going to the World Hydrogen Energy Conference in Japan and going to like a hydrogen filling station in Singapore and all these kind of things, driving a Toyota fuel cell car in uh, in America, which is like $5 million worth of R&D. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. At the age of 22, like, do not crap. <laughs> <laughs> in time, like, you know, EVs were far away. Hydrogen cars were even further away. Both mm. of them really quite far away. So I was like, okay. They're not ready for me yet, <laughs> you know. Like, and so I was like, and I, and also I wanted to. I love technology. I love technology, and also in the UK, I think we we create great technology. We are we have really great problem solvers, but yet we are never that great about taking it to market and commercialising. Yes. Yeah. And I was like, I want to be somebody that helps take great technology and commercialises great technology. And so I went to learn other business skills. I'd done engineering uh, as my my kind of degree. And that's what I've been doing with BMW. So I went to do some other business skills, did some stuff with like um, Hive. So, you know, controlling your heating from your mobile yep. phone and remote controlling devices, connected home technology. And then I was on mat leave, actually. I was on mat leave and, and a museum with my baby and a friend and her baby. And she was telling me about her Tesla. And she was like, oh, it's really great. And I was like, is it though? Does it go very far? You know, all those questions that we get all the time. And it's like, well, where do you charge it? And she was telling me about the supercharger network. And mm. and I was like, oh, but, and she's like, have you not driven one yet? And I was like, no, she's like, you need to go and drive one. And it turns out that while I'd been busy doing all this other stuff, EVs had started to come of age. And, and I went and did this test drive day and I drove a Nissan Leaf, this is 2017, Nissan mm. Leaf, a BMW i3 and then a Tesla Model S. And wow, I got in the Nissan Leaf and I was like, this is great. This is totally, I can do this, you know. And mm. then I got my i3 and that was so nippy. Like you put them in your body, so it just goes. So much fun. And I was like, wow. And then I got in the Tesla Model S. And of course that, yeah. Straight away. I mean, like a bullet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. let me put it in ludicrous mode, which is amazing. Oh. Really, so much fun. And so... So I just, you know, I didn't know how I'd, and it was, this is embarrassing, right? I'd been into this as a teenager. And for some reason, by 2017, I had a petrol and a diesel car sitting in my driveway and electric cars were a real thing. And I was like, how is this possible? 
how is this possible? And I went into a Nissan dealership, actually. And I was like, I'm really interested in this Nissan Leaf. They sent out the new guy on the job. He printed out a brochure because they didn't have any brochures. He, we sat down. We tried to work out what color that was of the one that was in the in the dealership. Oh. Then his boss came out and told me that it was going to take me 28 and a half hours to charge. It wasn't even like it was a rounded number. Is he like, trying to put you off by it? <laughs> and then he goes, you've got this Nissan Qashqai here. You've got two kids. Oh. <laughs> Can I show you it? And I was like, wow. <laughs> you know, and obviously there are people out there that want to get electric vehicles that can't because mm. they don't, they aren't getting right information. And, and this was, this is going back a few years. I know Nissan mm. a long way since then. Yeah. But I, but there are a lot of incentives to not promote EVs in the right way, and so we are we are desperately trying to do that. So you know, provide experts to help you through the cars, help you through the charging, through the financing, things like salary sacrifice, so that you know you can ac- access expertise um, when you if you're considering it. Brilliant. Epic. All right. I think Ollie's got your your final questions. Yeah, so I'll start with you again, Fiona. Uh, what's your favourite mode of transport and any final thoughts you've got? Oh, gosh. That's a really tough question. Because <laughs> I really like cycling with my daughter to school, which is the weirdest thing, but I'm, it makes me very happy. Yeah. But, but I mean, I... I, I Cycling's my favourite. Yeah, I mean, I have had a Leaf and I've had, I've, we're lucky enough that we've got a Tesla Model 3 right now. I mean, mm. even the Easter eggs in the, the Model 3, right? My kids love the fart mode and yeah. that stuff. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, you know, not just the acceleration and all the other bits. So I've got <laughs> a difficult question. Maybe, maybe the cycle. Okay. All right, we'll go to you, Paul. That's a tough one, that. But I'd, I'd probably say um, uh, train and motorbike. Um, I, I'm mm. not cars uh, despite what i said you know I've, I've, okay, okay. Um, I, 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 I love motorbikes and i'd ride it a lot more if there are fewer cars on the road so uh, um but i think for journeys um uh, you know the train is, is is such an overlooked and wonderful solution it's already electric mostly mm-hmm. it's fast it's clean it's efficient and we're not we don't make enough use of that and uh, so I'm, I'm a big fan of public transport actually um despite being uh um, so I'd, I'd, uh, I'd like to use uh, motorbike more, but fewer cars, please. <laughs> We've got enough cars. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. So that is it in a nutshell. So I just want to say thank you both for you know, shedding awesome insights and awesome things throughout this whole thing. I said thing 700 times in one sentence. <laughs> I heard them all. And they all hurt just as the last. You know, so yeah, thank you very much for coming. Thank you for joining us, and thank you for, um, yeah, thank you for putting up putting up with us. Do you have any kind of final things you want to give out, or final information you want to give about any of your projects or anything else, or do you just any? This it's up to you. Whatever you want to do with these, it's up to you. No, just that, thank you for for inviting us on. I think it, as as Fiona said, the you know the challenge here is education, spreading the word, and yeah. it's just so confusing for people out there. Yeah. And, I, I, you know, I don't know how to fix this as an engineer. Okay, I'm still learning how to communicate as an engineer. But I think what you're doing, and and you know, through through Transportholics and 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 you know, these these blogs, we've got to get the word out somehow. There's so much misinformation, so much confusion, and so uh, thank you for giving us the chance to uh, to hopefully um, shed a bit of light on some of this stuff. That's great. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, great work. Awesome. All right. 
That's it, right? So that's uh, you, that's Transport Holics in a nutshell, and that's Ollie, Paul, Fiona. Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah, Peace out. Listening. Good night, and thank you for watching.